Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, this is the final petition of the Lord's Prayer, and thus it is our final week in our journey uh, through the Lord's Prayer together, uh, which, as you have each week, you will find in Matthew chapter 6. And if you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you, that is on page 811. Well, J.I. Packer talks about the flow of the second half of the Lord's Prayer, uh, the flow of the last three petitions about daily bread, forgiveness, and deliverance. He writes, After prayer for provision, and then prayer for pardon, comes a cry for protection, our third basic need. The petition has two parts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. However, both parts express a singular thought, and it is this. Life is a spiritual minefield. Amid such dangers, we dare not trust ourselves. Father, keep us safe. Father, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come to you this morning once again, and just as we have in these prior weeks, we give you thanks for your word and for these particular words, for this prayer that Jesus continually teaches us to pray. And so we do ask once again that by the power of your spirit, would you please open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, that our very hearts, that our lives might be changed as we encounter your deliverance afresh today. Lord, teach us to pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. Please hear the word of God, Jesus speaking. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is the word of God. And so today we come to verse 13. Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And just as with the petition from last week, uh, this one, too, has two parts, two phrases. And so that's how we're going to walk through it today, how we're going to take a look at it, is uh, looking at each of these phrases separately, and then at the end, we'll connect them, we'll tie them all together. And so first, deliver. Uh, We'll begin with the, the second phrase first. Deliver us from evil. Now, some of you have heard me share this uh, before. It's been a while since I have 
shared of my fascination as a kid with flying. And, and I'm not just, I don't mean flying like being a pilot, as cool as it would be to be like Nathan Kiwit on multiple uh, levels. Uh, <laughs> but I mean putting on a cape and strapping or strapping wings on and flying on my own. And as I have also confessed in the past, there were uh, many, sev there were several failed attempts at that. My mom asked that I would please look for another superpower. So I did. I, uh, I began scratching my head, and I grew up around the church and around the Bible, and I thought, you know, Jesus, I mean, he is like the greatest superhero of all time, and he's actually real. And so I thought, started thinking about all the neat things that Jesus did. And I landed on, if I could just walk on water. Now that would be great. So I confess here too, there were many failed attempts at that one. Now I am curious though, I, I know lots of people want to fly when they, uh, at some point in their life. But did anybody else ever want to walk on water? We got, okay, J just a few of you. The, the rest of you need to expand your imagination. There is so much that you could do with that. Well, do you really believe that Jesus walked on water? Yeah. Okay, so we're talking about the Son of God. I mean, of course he could do it, the God-man. But, but what about Peter? A mere mortal like you and me. Do you really believe that Peter walked on water? Why? Because God's Word says so. And you believe that God's Word is true. Now, you may be here this morning... And, and you're not a Christian. Uh, you, you don't think of the Bible as anything more than, a, than an interesting and maybe even a confusing book. And I, and I do want to say that I'm glad you're here. And I also want to say is, is that my hope is, is that you will encounter Jesus in such a way is that you will come to see that he is who he says he is. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that his word is trustworthy So let's go back for just a moment to Jesus and Peter walking on water. So many, if not most of us here, have no problem believing this because we know that God's word is true. But what does God's word have to say about the spiritual forces of evil? I mean, here, here's a topic that some don't talk about or even think about very much. Well, think about what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. And do we really believe God's word? Because you know, really, there are many times that we don't act like it, at least with regard to this topic. Instead, what, what do we do? We struggle with flesh and blood. And we ignore the unseen spiritual realities around us. We don't see with the eyes of faith that it's flesh and blood that are often the vehicle through which the evil one attacks our faith. In his uh, famous book, well-known... Uh, Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Are you familiar with that? 
excellent book. I highly commend it to you. Uh, not only is it informative, but very entertaining uh, and, and very challenging. And C.S. Lewis addresses the reality of spiritual warfare in the Screwtape Letters. And, and he talks about the two extremes that we as Christians, that we typically tend towards, kind of swinging on the pendulum. So he, he says, there are those who are fixated on spiritual warfare. I mean, behind every corner, every bush, there is a devil or a demon, and that is what they are looking for and what they are seeing all the time. Or then you can swing to the other side, and you get the folks that are like, eh, you know, kind of ignore it. I mean, yeah, the Bible talks about it, but, you know, th there are other things going on. So either fixated on it or, or, or more or less not really paying attention to it. And Lewis offers a helpful corrective to the two extremes uh, regarding these spiritual forces of evil. He notes that we must acknowledge it because the Bible speaks of it. And that we must address it in prayer because Jesus teaches us to do so. And that as we do, we always keep our focus, we always fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, in some places, spiritual warfare is very apparent. In other places, it's, it's less apparent, uh, much more subtle. But it is always very real, nonetheless. And so we pray, Father, deliver us from evil. And not just deliver us from evil, but also deliver us from the evil one. Uh, one commentator notes, it's not just deliver us from evil, because in this sixth petition, Jesus uses the definite article, the evil. He uses the same phrase in the rest of his Sermon on the Mount to refer to his enemy, the devil, the evil one. And in, in most of your Bibles, if you take a look, they actually footnote this translation. Well, preacher theologian John Stott concurs. The word translated evil is best understood as evil one. For it is the devil who is in view here. The one who tempts God's people to sin and from whom we need to be rescued. And so we pray. Father, deliver us from the evil one. Now, many of you have been saying, I don't know about praying, but you've at least been saying this since you were a kid. Okay, you got caught doing something wrong. Maybe it was by mom and dad. And, and, and what did you say? Devil made me do it. I didn't do it. Devil, devil made me do it. I've, I've got three small kids. I hear this. But you know what's interesting about that? Even thinking about it back to being a kid and, and, and making a statement like that, it points to the fact that we already know, even as small children, that there is a, a greater, a deeper reality of something unseen around us. You see, praying for deliverance from the evil one is also praying to be delivered from evil. Because the evil one outside of us seeks to exploit the evil within. The sin that so easily entangles, as the writer of Hebrews puts it. And Packer notes that Satan's army of demons often use subtle strategies. 
namely deception and discouragement, and also distraction and doubt. He goes on to say, Satan should be taken seriously, for malice and cunning make him fearsome, yet not taken so seriously as to provoke abject terror of him, for he is a bound and beaten enemy. Okay, and here's, here's the point. Satan is stronger than we are. In and of ourselves, in our own strength, we are weaker, we are unable to stand up against the demonic forces, the spiritual forces of evil. Satan is stronger than we are, but Jesus is stronger than Satan. Amen. Amen. Jesus is stronger than Satan. And so in this prayer, we are looking for deliverance as we look to Jesus, who is the deliverer. We pray, Father, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. And in doing so, in doing so, Father, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. So the other phrase this, of this last petition. So second, temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Now, does this phrase strike any of you as odd? Yeah, I see some head nods. I mean, why does Jesus teach us to ask the Father not to lead us into temptation when the Bible is crystal clear, James 1.13, and I quote, that God tempts no one? So why would Jesus teach us to pray this? Well, it, it centers around this word translated temptation, which in Greek is the word harassment. And parasmus has two different meanings. Okay, it can refer to a test or to a temptation. A test, something meant to prove and improve one's character. So it's kind of like the test that you take in school. We've got students here. We've got some professors in our midst. The professors give the test. And the students love to take the test, right? But no, the, isn't the purpose to prove and improve our understanding of the academic material that's been studied, to, to prove what we know and what we don't know, and then also to improve to help us to learn. That's what they're really meant for. And so a test, something uh, in, in the sense that we're talking about here, something meant to prove and improve one's character. Or this word, parasmus, can also refer to temptation, something meant to entice a person to sin, to bring him or her down in some way. A parasmus, according to Daryl Johnson, is a difficult or challenging situation in life, which can either be a test, proving and improving one's character, or it can be a temptation, enticing a person into sin. Whether it is a test or a temptation depends on who is behind it, and how we respond. Uh, New Testament uh, Scottish scholar uh, William uh, Barclay, some of you know that name, uh, he explains that the word parasmus is used of the divine placing of a person into a situation which is a test, a situation in which he may fall, 
but in which he is not meant to fall. A situation which may be his ruin, but out of which he is meant to emerge spiritually strengthened and enriched. Okay, so here's, here's the key. Here is the link between these two phrases. The evil one is constantly trying to turn tests into temptations. The evil one is constantly trying to turn tests into temptations. What God purposes to prove and improve our faith. What God purposes to reveal and refine our hearts. Satan seeks to manipulate in such a way is to either entice us to sin, to bring us down, to derail us. And so we're praying, Father, Father, deliver us from the evil one that test would not become temptation. And when it does, rescue us. So let's develop this a little bit further. On the one hand, a test is meant to reveal our hearts, who we love, where our trust is. And as I was thinking about this, it makes me think of a friend that I had uh, when, when we lived in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, his name is Timothy. Uh, Timothy owned a tea shop. We finally called him Tim the Tea Man. And, and you could just sit hours with, with Timothy. He would talk religion, philosophy, politics, sports, adventure, whatever and he'd give you free tea. And, and he knew about teas, I mean, he imported teas from around the world. And so I was asking him, so what, you know, what makes a good tea, what makes a bad tea? And one of the things that I learned is that you can't tell a good, good tea and bad tea by just looking at it. So let's say, for example, that you have uh, two, two bags of tea. You, you know that one is good and one is bad, but you can't tell by just looking at it. However, if you put both in a cup of boiling water, let it steep for a few minutes, then let it cool off and take a sip. Then you're able to tell. And so it is with us. Our hearts are most quickly revealed when placed in hot water. We discover who or what we really trust in, in a bear market, not in a bull market. In the midst of conflict, not in a place of peace. When facing adversity, not when resting at ease. So on the one hand, a test is meant to reveal our hearts. On the other hand, through Parasmus, a test, God's purpose is not only to reveal our hearts, but also to refine them, to sharpen them to improve. A test is meant to refine our hearts, our love for Jesus, our trust in him. In Romans 8, Paul reminds us that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Not that all things are good, but that God uses all things for good. And further, Paul tells us in Romans 8 that God's purpose is to conform us 
to the image of his son, to the image of Jesus. To grow our faith, our trust in him. To refine our hearts. And so again, the key, the link between these two phrases is that the evil one is constantly trying to turn tests into temptations. What God purposes to prove and to improve our faith, what God purposes to reveal and refine our hearts, Satan seeks to manipulate in such a way as to entice us to sin, to bring us down, to derail us. Again, we are praying, Father, deliver us from the evil one. The test would not become temptation. And when it does, rescue us. So we've looked at the two parts of this final petition. And so now what I want us to do is to, to tie it all together. Uh, I want to connect these two uh, with a biblical case study. And so let, let's end with an illustration. Peter. Uh, it's one of my favorite illustrations uh, for the, the topic that we're dealing with here. So back to the story of Jesus and Peter walking on water. Uh, Matthew chapter 14. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that it's late at night. That Jesus has sent his disciples out into a boat to go across to the other side while he remains on shore to pray uh, to the Father. And so the disciples are out in the boat in, in the middle of the water and they are by themselves without Jesus. And as they get further and further away from land, we see that their boat is being beaten by the wind and the waves. And it says, I'm going to pick up with verse 2. 25, Matthew chapter 14. And Jesus came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And so we see that Jesus calls Peter out on the water as a test to prove and improve his faith. Again, God's purpose is to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus, to grow our faith, our trust in him. It's like gold that's tested in fire. The quality of Peter's trust was being both revealed and refined. And we see that Peter first 
looks to Jesus, steps out of the boat, trusts him at his word, and walks on the water. I mean, it's amazing. But then, something happens. But then Peter sees something else. Do you remember what it was? The wind. He sees the wind. Verse 30. Matthew uses the word wind, not waves. In other words, Peter sees something unseen. It's the evil one who is speaking here. Just like he did as the serpent in the garden, twisting the truth. Peter, you can't do this. Don't listen to Jesus. In Peter's heart and mind, he hears lies. Words of discouragement, distraction, doubt. Test becomes temptation. Filled with fear rather than faith, Peter begins to sink. Now remember where we are in Matthew's gospel at this point. Okay, we are now in Matthew chapter 14. Peter learned the Lord's Prayer all the way back in Matthew chapter 6. He knows this last petition, but he's only got one second to pray it. He's going down, and so again he looks to Jesus and he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus rescues him. Every day Jesus calls us to walk on water. Every day Jesus calls us to walk with him by faith into life's hard and difficult and painful. Filled with fear rather than faith, we often begin to sink. Those spiritual forces of evil begin to take us down. You've been there. In fact, maybe you're there this morning. Where are the places that fear really grips you, gets a hold of your heart? Is, is it fear about something within, within your own family? Or maybe something to do with, uh, with your job, your financial security? Or maybe it's fear about your relationships, the dynamics that are going on there, what's really happening, or, or fear about your health. Maybe things are going well, but deep down there's that fear that you're going to be discovered as a fraud, that, that you really aren't good enough, that you can't do it. And just like with Peter, the evil one often whispers discouragement, distraction, doubt into our hearts. Test becomes temptation. And we see the wind, and we begin to sink. Okay, think about it like this. I want you to think about a, a young child, elementary uh, age, elementary school age child. Blindfolded, ears plugged, and wandering around in the middle of a busy city street with traffic going back and forth both ways. Okay, friends, that is what you are like if you don't recognize the spiritual dynamic of life that we're talking about. 
Our lives are threatened and endangered by evil of all sorts every day. And thus we're in need of God's deliverance every day. And that's why Jesus teaches us to pray this final petition. So that we would grow in faith and not fear. With Peter, Jesus calls us to continually look to him, to cry out, Lord, save me. And he's there. He's there to rescue us. Through the cross, Jesus has defeated sin and death. He will deliver us from every evil. He will not let us drown, friends. As the great hymn proclaims, and we're going to sing this in just a moment. But as the great hymn says, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control, control my heart, that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. And so we continually look to him and pray, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen? Amen. Amen.